Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church Podcast. Over the coming months, we as a church are going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed together, an ancient summary of the Christian faith that has traveled through thousands of years and functioned as an anchor of truth in a constantly shifting world. The Creed presents truth claims that can be explored, that provoke questions, that come directly from scripture and that are owned by a community. Thanks for joining us. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. The reading is taken from Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hello and good morning. My name's Alice and I'm going to be continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if I've not had a chance to say hello to you, um, at some point I've not had a chance to meet you, please do come and say hello. Um, love meeting new faces. So the Apostles' Creed, as Mike's already described, a statement of Christian belief originating right back to the first apostles. And what a series it's been. You can almost think when you, when you approach a series on, on the Apostles' Creed, it can almost sound a bit dull, but it's absolutely not been that. However... Credit this morning, if your mind starts to wander or you start to get a bit fidgety and just want something to do with your hands and read through, there's some little worksheets um, at the back. So fair enough, if I get a bit dry and boring, I won't be offended if people want to go and have a look at those and just allow that to let you think a bit more. Now, we're ready for a bit of a recap because I appreciate some of us haven't, have always captured the whole of the series. So I'm going to just try and do a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the roller coaster that this has been. 
so we met the God the Father, Son, and the Spirit, three in one, loving one another right at the start. And out of an overflow of that love, they created life, making humans in their image. But we know that humans, we decided we were going to try and go it our own way. And well, we live in the consequence of that, don't we? It's hard to disagree that this world is a bit of a mess. I live in a house of junior doctors and teachers, and this week our calendar said, strike, 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 strike. (laughs) But rather than washing his hands of us, God reached down to rescue us. Mind-blowing. Rich spoke so well of this last week as he walked us through the selfless descent and glorious ascent of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We heard read in Philippians, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So while still being God, Jesus surrendered the privileges of his divinity so he could come, pay the price of our sin that we could not afford to pay and bring the salvation that we so desperately needed. And not only that, but he conquered death in rising again, something we're going to get to celebrate in a few weeks' time. So where's there to go next? Well, the next bit of the creed, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, through a Western lens, Jesus' ascension into heaven after he's risen from the dead creates in our minds a bit of a picture of him disappearing into some distant land where people sit on clouds and eat Philadelphia cheese, leaving us behind to fend for ourselves while we await his return. His work here is done right, and he's off. He's done a runner. No, that's not what the creed says. In him coming down to earth in human form to conquer sin, Jesus returning to his father draws us into that place such that we too can now call God father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven come down. Jesus bridges that distance, heals that divide and all of a sudden we can enter into the presence of God in all of his holiness and beauty and majesty. But I think sometimes stepping into a different cultural expression can sometimes just help frame what otherwise feels like a bit of a nebulous concept. An Aboriginal artist, Shirley Purdy, depicts the ascension of Jesus in her painting, which you'll see pop up on the screen. Aboriginal Christians see God's hand much more clearly in creation than as in the Western world do, such that his his presence and being is felt better understood looking at the redemption of creation, rather than some distant place in the sky. Her work is literally painted with the earth, mixing it with glue to paint a canvas where Jesus ascends downwards into creation. Rather than Jesus ascending upwards to the sky to some fluffy white clouds, he ascends into creation where creation that God made good is redeemed and transformed. Our own Rich Bopit put it last week, God has clothed himself in human flesh now and forever, uniting his divinity with our humanity and our eventual destiny isn't to float off into some disembodied heaven, but to be transformed as he was in an earth that is transformed. He's quite good with words, isn't he, Mr. Bopit? No longer is God separated from us, But through Christ, we are brought close. 
Next bit, Poppy. Colossians puts it, Christ is a visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And skip to the end. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Oh, what a saviour. This is our God brought close into his goodness, into his holiness, no longer a carpenter in Nazareth, but just as alive. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. God elevated him to the place of honour. It's, it's not a promotion. It's not his reward for coming and dying for us. No, he's restored back to that place that he inhabited right from the start, right before we were even conceived. It said he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And through him, God created everything, completely at one with the Father and the Spirit, to have all authority and dominion over creation. And the right hand, to be seated at God the Father's right hand means that Jesus Christ shares the power, strength and blessing of God the Father. To be at the right hand is to be on the same level, sharing in his position. The image of Messiah being at the right hand was something actually the Jews were really familiar with. It comes back to prophecies made in the Old Testament, that first part of the Bible. One example of those prophecies is Psalm 110, where King David, in a sort of roundabout way, describes God the Father, Yahweh, speaking to God the Son, Adonai. And because English is somewhat of a limited language, although you may not feel it if you're trying to learn it, both Adonai and Yahweh are translated into Lord in this particular version. The Lord, or Yahweh, said to my Adonai, Lord, sit in the, right, in the place of honour at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. David goes on to describe how Adonai, Messiah, will rule and destroy evil, will be a priest forever and ultimately will be exalted in victory. The Jewish people knew this and other promises about the coming Messiah. And so multiple times, as the apostles write in the New Testament, they hyperlink back to this promise saying, look, it's Jesus. He's the fulfillment of this. In Hebrews Jesus radiates God's own glory and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He sat down in the place of honour at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And then in 1 Peter, now Christ has gone to heaven and he is seated at the, at the place of honour next to God. The writers are creating this hyperlink, reminding the readers of what has been promised in the Old Testament scriptures. Look, God has come himself to set us free and he is in the person of Jesus. They're pointing to the end of the story and saying, look, it's going to be okay. Victory is won. Now, in, in my experience, there are two camps in the world. Hands up if you're the sort of person who loves a thriller or a horror. You just enjoy it. Hands up, thank you, Paul Sam's confession. Yeah, okay, we've got a few hands. We've got a few hands. Okay, fair enough, weirdos. Um, hands up if you're more like me, jump at every loud noise, hide behind the pillows. Yes, thank you. 
and I can confess this because I'm amongst friends, um, I actually now have to wiki, wiki the pay or Google the story of the film if I know we're going to be watching something. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Beth. I know that's me. Thank you. I've just gone down in some of your estimations, haven't I? I've got to know the end. Life's hard enough, right? I don't need the added suspense. Knowing the end of the story certainly makes me a more acceptable film viewing companion. But this is true in our lives. When we understand this rich truth, the certainty of Jesus' victory, it changes the way we see the chaos, destruction, and suffering around us. It's not yet the end of the story. He will return. And all this was completely radical to the readers of the time because Jesus blew all of the Jews' expectations of the Messiah out of the water. And if we're honest, ours too. Because how different does our Lord Jesus appear to those of us he rules? The Jews, like us today, were used to corrupt leaders who grabbed at power, elevated themselves, and then refused to leave their positions of authority, who abused the positions of honor that they were given, exploited the weak and the vulnerable, but not the Lord of all creation. He died on a cross and then didn't grab back his crown and reinstate his position and authority. No, he trusted in God the Father's timing. He demonstrated to us the absolute trust in the faithfulness of his Father, making it good. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've sang those words this morning. It's not that the exaltation of Jesus to the unparalleled position somehow detracts from God the Father's glory. No, Jesus being exalted glorifies the Father. There's no jostling for first position. They are first position and there is no other like it. No other worthy of all of our praise. This is our God, Oasis Church. This is our Lord. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I lived in London for a few years with a friend who had always wanted to have afternoon tea at the Ritz the poshest hotel with the finest dining that London can offer. And we'd had a bit of a rough year and someone had wanted to make my housemate's dream come true. And so they actually paid, can you believe it, for us to have afternoon tea at the Ritz. It doesn't get any better than that. And trust me, it hasn't since. Um, but it was not quite the experience we'd hoped for. It'll surprise you to know I struggle to look smart at the best of times. Uh, and on our way there, my friend and I should pour coffee all down her dress who has coffee on the way to afternoon tea, but don't ask me. And so we arrived there and became acutely aware of the fact we weren't quite Ritz material. We walked into the room, stunning artwork, tinkling piano music. Everything seemed to glisten with gold. Maybe that's just my memory. But I just became more and more aware of the fact that my shoes were really squeaky. There was a hole in my tights that I was trying to hide. And makeup was a bit of a foreign concept to me. Being in the presence of majesty and magnificence makes us very aware of our frailty and our vulnerability. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and clean. We sang this last week 
And I must confess, this line really struck a chord with me. The creed reveals that Jesus, a holy God, will come to judge. Not a term we like, particularly when we're in the dock and when we know what we're guilty of. When we see Jesus in all that he is, Lord of lords, King of kings, come to judge the living and the dead, our natural response is then to look down at ourselves and see we're not rich material. There was a prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, who described feeling exactly like this when he found himself in the presence of God Almighty. It's all over, I'm doomed, I'm a sinful man, I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Stood in the presence of Almighty God, aware of our own brokenness, our tendency, our natural responses to feel shame. Now, our cultural experience of what this looks like will vary. As some of us are from contexts that actually shame goes far beyond the individual and actually reflects on those closest to us. But we're all too familiar with this feeling of our identity being caught up in what we've done or what we've had done to us. This shame tells me I am guilty and I will stay guilty. It makes me look in on myself and feel hopeless when I see the brokenness can't be freed. It calls me a new name and it announces a new identity over me. And it leads me to respond like Adam and Eve in the garden. When our sin is exposed and our nakedness is obvious, we want to cover ourselves. We want to patch it together. What did they reach for? Fig leaves. Fragile leaves that cover and hide us, forgetting that nothing more than a stiff breeze will put pay to that. Maybe we instead we try and behave like the religious leaders, trying to disguise our shame by meeting standards of holiness in our own effort. I'll try harder to be nice, to be good, to work harder, and maybe that will buy me favour. Maybe that will buy me salvation. Scrubbing ourselves down to try and make ourselves a bit more presentable. But then we fall again, and the shame scars run deeper. And for some of us, this pattern runs so deep, it feels like we can never get out of it. And if that's you... I want to say there's a better way. And I say this is because I've been praying for you the last few weeks because it's been so on my heart. Shame is not the response God is looking for. Shame is not your master. The author Jasmine Holmes, goodness me, I did try and promise myself that I'd get through one Sunday without crying. Oh well. The author Jasmine Holmes said, shame isolates, but repentance restores. Shame makes us hide from God Repentance turns us to him. Shame doesn't have to be our story. When we recognize the brokenness of our lives and hearts and come on our knees before Jesus, when we come empty of ourselves, he lifts our gaze off of ourselves and fills our gaze with him. And he is so beautiful. He pours on us the freedom and forgiveness that we could never have deserved and we could never earn. Shame reaches for the fig leaves. Repentance reaches for Jesus. Shame says, let me try harder. Repentance says, Jesus, help me. And how does he respond? I'm right here. The next verse is going to come up. Romans 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because you see, he didn't come to make bad people good. He did so much more than that. He came to make dead people alive. 
His grace is deep. His mercy is wide. He's no Paul Hollywood or Simon Cowell saying, you didn't make the mark out. He's the judge who steps down into our punishment that we deserve so we can walk in his freedom and life. I basically could have summarized this sermon by reading to you Ephesians 2, which is just going to come up on the screen. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. And then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving us is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. So there's an invitation for you today. Do you want in on this? Will you accept God's gift to you? There's a beautiful painting by Andrew Rublev called The Trinity. It will pop up on the screen. This painting demonstrates each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, at the table sharing a meal. And there's a space at the table, a space for you. You're not going to be third or fourth wheeling. You're not left out in the cold. The Trinity relates to one another in such a way that draws us in. Jesus ascending into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, not so they can run off and have a party without you. You're invited to the party. He descended into humanity so he could ascend and draw us out of death and into life. I'm going to invite the band to come back up now and we're going to have some time to respond to that. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Maybe some of this has struck a chord with you. There's a few different ways that we can respond. Maybe today, I'm not there yet and I'm going to leave that invitation there. And if that's you, you're so welcome here and thank you so much for listening to me. But for those of us who this morning know we need to call on the name of Jesus and follow him, we're going to respond by taking communion. It's a physical reminder of the fact that we are saved by the body and blood of Jesus. And so we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and I just want to leave a bit of space for you actually in that time just for you to come before the Father and say, where is my heart at? Lord, am I... Am I declaring yours as the kingdom as Dave shared with us earlier on? I was really struck by that. Are there bits in my life where actually you're not king yet? And when you're ready, at whatever time during this song that we're going to sing, I'm going to invite you just to come, grab some of the bread, some of the juice, take it back to your seat, we'll finish singing, and then I'm going to come back up and we'll have the opportunity to share in that together. Lord God, as we close this time that we've enjoyed together your presence is here it's moving we ask that you will just continue to go with us whatever our weeks hold however fragile our hearts are however strong our hearts are lord you're moving you're speaking you're not finished yet but we declare today the victory is yours we praise you jesus amen